welcome to IS podcast where we discuss ideas and insights on management, ethics and leadership. My name is Ron Valentin. Today we're going to discuss about strategy, digitalization and impact in family business on companies. Our guest holds a PhD in management from Yes Business School, University of Navarre. He has an MBA from the Cranfield School of Management and he has participated in several courses namely at the Global Colloquium of Participatory Centered Learning at the Harvard Business School. He's a professor of strategy, marketing and family business at EEEM Business School, University of Montevideo, Uruguay. He's visiting professor at several business schools in Latin America and Europe as IAS. He has also consulted in sectors such as automotive, food, energy, financial services, insurance and software, as well as corporate governance of family business of family businesses. He was Dean of the Graduate Business School of the University of Montevideo, Associate Dean of the Faculty of Business and Economy and General Manager of the University of Montevideo. Before he spent over 15 years in the industry in the pharmaceutical, chemical and food and drink sectors. It's a pleasure to have with us Professor Carlos Folle. Welcome to this podcast. It's my pleasure. Uh, I always enjoy, you know, uh, interacting with uh, executives and entrepreneurs in Portugal. Unfortunately, this time it has to be via online, which is a huge enabler, uh, as we will talk later. But uh, thank you very much for the invitation. Professor, let me start by asking you a question on a personal level. Uh, how has the pandemic affected you, your life and your teaching? It has had a, a huge impact, but I would say for the good. You know, obviously, it's, uh, I, I've been extremely lucky in that sense. I used to devote about, I would argue, between 25 to 30% of my time traveling uh, for different reasons, both uh, as an academic and also as a consultant. Definitely, this has changed. Obviously, the technology has allowed us to interact in a different way with participants. But uh, I think that um, a reasonable way given these times. So hence, I'm staying more at home, home office. Obviously, this has meant changes in the family dynamics. Uh, I've got a large family, you know, seven kids. So I've had to strengthen, you know, the Wi-Fi connections at home and uh, allow for everybody to have his or her own space for working whilst we were under lockdown. But uh, fortunately, I think the worst has passed, or so it seems. And uh, definitely, well, we, we must embrace this brave new world uh, with these examples. And uh, I would argue that new opportunities have cropped up. A friendly business school uh, asked me to if I could collaborate with them in, in Cote d'Ivoire, in French, but in, uh, in Africa. And uh, well, you know, teaching at their executive programs was a great challenge, which I embraced wholly and uh, I, I definitely enjoyed. So, you know, uh, an interesting balance. Good news to know that. Um, and we're glad to be able to make this podcast. You being in Uruguay, we being in Portugal. <laughs> so it's a good sign as well. Let me start by quoting one uh, one sentence that I think I would like to hear your comment. So the value of digital channels, products and operation is immediately obvious to companies everywhere right now. 
This is a wake-up call for organizations that have placed too much focus on daily operational needs at the expense of investing in digital business and long-term resilience. Do you agree? What do you think about this change? I would tend to agree with uh, the underlying observation, but I would phrase it differently. Uh, I would say, I would put it in terms of saying that many of the companies that perhaps have fallen or are falling in, in the, that trap, they need to really look into where they have lost touch with their chosen customers. Because probably what must have happened in, in their competitive landscapes is that customers have found other alternatives that have been more responsive to their needs through the use of digital, of course, as a tool and uh, probably digital has enabled those competitors to better serve those needs. So I would argue that, uh, I mean, probably the manifestation of the problem has been, uh, you know, uh, to be deeply dug into the, or entrenched, shall we say, into the daily operations, but it really is losing touch with your chosen customers. So I, I would ask companies to be intellectually honest in self-reflecting about how close they are with their, with their chosen customers. You know, how much, how customer centric are they really? And, uh, and then we can talk about digital, but let's talk about how customer centric they are and perhaps digital will emerge. Probably. One of your areas of expertise, it's the, the so-called digital transformation. We have been hearing a lot in the past years about it. Uh, what's your take on it? Uh, why is it important to business and how does it relate to that customer centricity you were just mentioning? COVID has probably precipitated some, uh, I would argue, tectonic changes that were already happening. It has been probably, you know, the catalyst for change. It has, you know, pushed us a little bit uh, over the cliff, so to say. The underlying consequences of this will have its impact in business. So hence, the, uh, the greater adoption of uh, e-commerce, for instance, or e-relating to our customers in different manifestations, be it, you know, retail, healthcare, industry, uh, logistics, etc. All those implications are there, and definitely that has come here to stay. So uh, there will be more people eating at home. There will be, uh, you know, uh, more uh, e-detailing and e-prescribing, for instance, in in medicine, in terms of the relationships between, you know, the pharma industry and their and their customers looking or at their ecosystem, looking at payers, physicians, etc. At the end of the day, these transformations have been enablers for, for uh, new types of businesses to crop up and emerge and hence grab business away from traditional players. So either we jump on the, on the train or we just miss it. No? It's very interesting to hear and, and, and try to realize all these changes that are happening. Uh, you mentioned in your classes that digital transformation is not so much about technology, that is about strategy and new ways of working. Why do you think so? I, I sort of tend to move away from people using the latest buzzword 
you know, in order to cling to it. And we many times in academia are responsible for being, you know, the key uh, disseminators of, you know, the lean startup, the scrum methodologies, you know, you name it. The, the, you know, all these buzzwords have been around for years and we've been incorporating new ones. And many times they are interesting because they managed to capture a concept and help disseminate it quite easily. But uh, they are, at the end of the day, most of the times, they are mer merely tools for enabling business. And so at the end of the day, uh, I think what we see or when we see companies fail or lose ground against uh, newer, better competitors, it is because they don't have a clear strategy or they perhaps used to have a clear strategy, but uh, it is no longer the case or that strategy has lost its momentum or it is not relevant anymore. So I, I, I would, you know, encourage, uh, you know, corporates, even entrepreneurs as well, to really look at themselves in the mirror, mirror and uh, try to understand, you know, what they stand for. What, what are they in business for? Uh, I, I don't know. Let, 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 let's put it this way. Technology has been a, a key enabler, no? And many, people's, many people have traditionally thought that introducing innovations in technology was better. The evidence is mixed in that sense. I mean, let's use an old example, but that I think is quite, uh, you know, visual in this sense. Uh, you, you must remember SAS, the Scandinavian airline, that in the 80s was, you know, very much focused in having the latest jet. So whenever, you know, at the time, the McDonnell Douglases or the Boeings or, you know, uh, then came uh, later came Airbus, but, uh, you know, were producing a jet, they always wanted to have the latest jet. And as we all know, that is a pain in the neck because you need to have pilots that are, you know, trained in, you know, uh, <laughs> flying those different jets. This has enormous costs. It has implications in, uh, in the maintenance, spare parts, inventory, you name it. It is a pain in the neck. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really or necessarily fulfill a better experience for their chosen customer, i.e. the people who fly or used to fly, right? So uh, then came uh, a new CEO, he was called Jan Carlson, and, and he coined a word and a phrase called the moments of truth, which has evolved over the year, uh, evolved over the, over the years, and it is now very, uh, you know, used on an everyday basis. And he identified the moments of truth, which he wrote in a little red notebook, as the key, uh, as the different encounters that the customers had uh, at the different stages in their journey. Say, first, when they were making a reservation via phone or whatever to try and get their ticket. Then when they actually paid for the ticket. Then when, for instance, they went to the airport and obviously they checked in. Then when they go on top of the plane or they board the plane, uh, then when they have their seatbelts on sign and, you know, all these different encounters. And so basically he used them as mini exams on a pass fail kind of basis. And he spent a lot of time, you know, traveling around. Well, what I find is that many companies have actually lost touch and uh, thought or have uh, simplified 
their versions of strategy in terms of thinking that having the best planes will necessarily uh, deliver the best experience. And obviously, we know the evidence says that they're wrong. It is these, it is the, the cumulative sum of these moments of truth, which effectively uh, enable you to have a better experience or not. And so as a customer, uh, we need to, uh, you know, uh, sorry, as a company, we need to understand what those pain points, what those moments of truth are, so that we can resolve them in a better way and hence deliver, uh, sort of uh, enable stronger links with our chosen customers, which will enable us to have a sustainable business in the future to come. Once again, it's very interesting to see that shift from, from operations to the customer need. There's a study that you quote on strategy that mentioning that two thirds of corporate strategy is never implemented. So we, we have a move here from the idea of the buzzword of digital transformation to the importance of thinking about strategy and the customer. But at the same time, it's very hard to implement it. Why is that? Well, because at the end of the day, uh, the evidence is quite compelling in terms of saying that uh, companies take strategy seriously. Obviously, I'm making some generalizations, uh, generalizations based on, on the evidence provided by these studies. But, uh, and this is a longitudinal study. So obviously it's not a one shot, uh, but it's, uh, you know, something that has been measured over time. And uh, many companies that we are related to, uh, you know, devote uh, or dedicate time of their top management and their middle management to, you know, uh, discuss about their strategy and what they're going to do in the near future. And uh, so we see that happening. It's not a question of not addressing it. But the problem is once you, uh, you know, uh, a compromise has been, you know, uh, done and uh, a strategy has been spelled out, the problem is the next phase. It is the implementation. And so what does the evidence say in, the, in, in those terms? The evidence says that when the strategy fails and, you know, you start asking, doing some research within these companies, you see that um, a huge percentage of the people namely over two thirds of the people either do not know the strategy one or two, they don't understand it. So, you know, you don't know the strategy of your company. You don't really understand what you're in business for. You don't really use your strategic plan as a tool for helping your middle managers make decisions because either you don't understand it or you don't know it, which is you know even harder. So I, I, I mean, in terms of call for act, call to action, I would challenge companies to you know, and obviously this goes to top management to really you know make a quick you know acid kind of test to get you know their collaborators to write down you know on whatever device or piece of tape paper for the for that sake, you know what do you understand? is our company strategy. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I do this <clears throat> increasingly in my consultancy work, and uh, you, you, you get some extraordinary surprises. You assume people know, and they don't know. They use buzzwords, they use things that used to be the case in the past, but are no longer the case currently. Uh, they can't, you know, 
really have a clear statement. It doesn't have, you know, you don't need to know your mission by heart. That's not the idea. It's really the underlying, uh, you know, reason for your existence and how you're going to achieve your objectives. That is what strategy is about. So you need to have a clear direction. You need to have your, your objectives and you need to, you know, uh, understand what the hurdles are so that you can circumvent them, you know, some way or the other. And I think many people just say, okay, what I need is digital, you know, please provide me digital from the shelf. And digital is a tool, but if you don't have a clear direction, you know, digital can go nowhere. Uh, there's a saying about uh, a boat that has no direction, has not favorable wind. So exactly to the point. So you mentioned the importance of, of communication, of understanding the customer. Uh, at the same time, uh, an important aspect of strategy is about what you should not do. So not only what you should be doing and being able to communicate that with your team, but at the same time, the things that you shouldn't do. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, that's one of my favorites, I must admit. Well, um, over here in the River Plate, uh, uh, as you know, we speak Spanish. And so I'm going to quote a saying in Spanish, which is uh, the strategy of now that we are at it, which in Spanish is called la estrategia del ya que estamos. Ya que estamos haciendo esto, incorporamos esto otro. Now that we are, let's say, in the, I, I don't know, in the Scotch whiskey business, let's incorporate wine. Why? Well, you know, it's liquid, it's alcohol, they are put in bottles and they are consumed reasonably in a similar way. Well, we need to be careful with that strategy of the Jaque Estamos. Because at the end of the day, when we try to be everything to everybody, we might end up being nothing to nobody. And uh, the evidence says that uh, huge companies have actually failed in that sense. Just bear in mind, uh, you know, the emergence of all, all the know-how we currently have in terms of corporate advantage. Remember the, co uh, the, the large conglomerates that were the name of the game in the US and in Europe mainly in the 80s. You had these conglomerates like uh, Imperial Chemical Industries in the UK, largest industrial conglomerates that had from uh, petrochemicals, plastics, paints, pharmaceuticals, uh, biocides, uh, you know, you name it, and uh, insurance companies, etc. And at the end of the day, they, they saw that there was no corporate advantage in having all these businesses clung together. There were no real synergies each had its own. And so they floated the, the business apart. And, you know, Zeneca, which is now AstraZeneca, came up on the one side and then Dulux and the paints and the rest of the business businesses came out on the other. You could talk about Philips, for instance, in the Netherlands with, you know, all their different businesses, basically in home appliances and, and, and the lightings and the, and the like, and obviously their transformation into being like a medical um, devices, well, more than devices, uh, apparatus uh, company. So, you know, uh, at the end of the day, uh, we need to question whether there is an effective corporate advantage in saying bigger is better, but especially bigger with unrelated businesses stuck together. 
And the evidence says that uh, these kind of things happen mainly in underdeveloped markets where uh, the capital markets are not well developed enough. And so, you know, obviously people who already have some disposable money for investment attract new businesses and hence they built this. But that's because of an institutional void. In more developed markets where this is not the case, one could argue that diversification shouldn't be, you know, uh, looked after that way. And the evidence is quite compelling in that sense. You have been mentioning different aspects uh, about strategy at the same time. Can we take a look about the importance of competition? So in the past years, we have had a lot of attention and, and stress about the idea. You have to look what your competitors are doing and you have to go further than them and you have to be better than them. And slowly we're starting to see that the, the landscape is becoming more complex. And, and you cannot just look as competitors. Is there another way to frame this issue? What we see nowadays is that uh, that sort of relationship that was what is called a zero-sum game, which means if I win, you lose, no? Uh, now is not necessarily the case. I mean, for many years now, we've been talking about competition, which means that you can cooper uh, cooperate and compete at the same time. So you might have a relationship with a company that is your supplier, but you also compete with them out there in the market. Competitors come, come from really nowhere. I mean, who would imagine, let's put it this way, if you were Microsoft, for instance, when would you ever dream that a company that was selling advertising like Google might come in and compete with you? No idea, you know, you would have never expected that or a company like Amazon, now that we're at it, that was selling books and CDs would come and compete with you in terms of selling storage space, competing in the cloud. Uh, and, and so, you know, these evolving landscapes are, you know, changing all the time. Same has happened with Microsoft. I mean, you've evolved from, you know, selling a package of uh, Office and, uh, and, and Windows to obviously, you know, all the cloud business and Azure and and so and everything related. So you know it's um, uh, the, the landscape is changing quite dramatically. I mean, if you were in the hotel business, you, uh, I you know historically you know the larger number of brands you had within your portfolio catering for different business segments and different opportunities for stay, you know, would give you a larger clout. Who would imagine that, you know, there would be a shift and these uh, online travel agents will come in, in, into the arena uh, and, you know, destabilize traditional, uh, you know, agencies that uh, were your channels to market. And who would think that, you know, that people like, uh, I don't know, Acker, for instance, would actually decide to challenge, you know, the bookings of the Expedia, Expedia's or Travelocities or whatever of this world launching their own travel agency in order to, you know, match this, but simultaneously not quitting the, the, the relationship they already had beforehand. So, you know, we can go on and on in terms of uh, trying to see that competition can come from anywhere. In Portugal, I'm not sure how it is in Uruguay. We do have a large base of companies in, in the country are small, medium sized companies and, and, Lots of them are family-based uh, 
and known uh, companies, which is as well an area of your work and expertise. Uh, <laughs> so have them close at heart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we do have a lot of these sort of companies in Portugal. Um, it can feel overwhelming for a business leader, not only to manage his profitability in low margin, high competition sectors, but at the same time to, hear, to have an eye on new tendencies. What advice can you give to these sort of smaller, medium-sized companies, which are the large part of, of the industry? Let, let me put it this way, just to put in context, because you, you've touched one of my, you know, soft points, which is family businesses, which I, you know, hold very dearly and at heart. Uh, the evidence, unfortunately, says that, you know, this is more or less a global stat, that only one in three companies, family-owned, uh, family businesses, actually managed to get successfully from the first generation to the second. About half of that figure, about 15%, managed to get it to, to arrive to the to the following generation to the third generation and less than five percent uh, managed to get to the fourth generation and uh, the evidence is quite compelling in saying that uh, the main reason for this sort of you know stat uh, happening is not about business related problems the main explanation is about the relationships amongst the family within the family area so uh, the word of advice is, you know, th this is like when we are saying, you know, what am I going to die of? And probably one would think that you might die of this, but at the end, the evidence says that you die of this other thing. So uh, at the end of the day, what we need to understand is that a, um, a family business typically has two advantages related to corporations. The first advantage, is the shirt. It's like in football terms, you know, the pride of wearing your family's shirt. So if you've got people, you know, conducting the business from the family or not, but that really have the shirt on, that is a strong predictor of that, that business being able to reinvent itself and hence, uh, you know, continue in existence in the future. So that's one, the shirt. And the second reason why family businesses are successful is because they are fast in making decisions. So when there is a problem or when there is an opportunity, they just, you know, grab it very fast. You know, you identify the problem or the opportunity on the Friday and on the Saturday, you think about it on the Sunday, you know, whilst you're having your Sunday lunch with the family, uh, in the barbecue, the whatever you know you're you're having, uh, you make the decision, and on Monday it is implemented, and so that speed is in contrast with a large corporation where you need to check with your country manager or with your regional manager or with a whatever director on so and so or with the board, and hence that delay makes that huge uh, Goliath move slower than, you know, the faster, you know, more David kind of uh, decisions that take place in family businesses. So we need to make sure, hence, that you continue to make decisions and implement them fast. And hence this communication issue we talked about in terms of strategy. And you must make the shirt still be relevant for those that are in charge. 
So those are the two reasons or that, that I would you know, strongly encourage uh, our, our, our friends, our businessmen in Portugal to really go for, to really keep on sustaining. But at the end of the day, I mean, this is one aspect of the, of the problem, but the underlying uh, you know, reason for success and sustainability in business, business words or in business terms is you know, having a clear uh, you know, view of who your chosen customer is. And this is easier said than done. So companies that, are, that manage to identify who their chosen customers are, who are able to harness their capabilities and their assets to serve the needs of those customers, needs that definitely change. And obviously digital is an enabler for transformation and change in that sense. And those changes in expectations need to be met. So that's the call for action in terms of not falling into your comfort zone, but keeping your eyes on the ball. This is like in every sport where there is a ball. If you miss the ball because you take your eyes off the ball, you're gonna shoot it. If you're playing football and you don't watch the ball, you're not gonna hit it well. If you're playing golf and you don't keep your eyes on the ball, you're gonna miss the shot. If you're playing tennis and you wanna play it by heart without watching, you're gonna miss it. So the ball is your chosen customer. And so you need to see how he behaves. You need to watch the spin if it comes on one side or the other side, if it moves this way or it moves that other way, but keep your eyes on the ball and definitely upgrade your capabilities to serve the needs of those chosen customers. Make use of all the tools that digital brings with you in terms of the big data, you know, use the technology to analyze, uh, be able to, you know, uh, segment accordingly in terms of how they use, where they use, when they use, how they use, and but deliver a promise that exceeds their expectations uh, in terms of doing that consistently and bear in mind that that chosen customer is a moving target he is constantly on the move and so that for you as a company that uh, you know has the huge challenge of keeping you on the tips of your toes you need to be you know very careful in terms of watching uh, what that chosen customer is doing how you relate with him and how you ex exceed his or her expectations. And this is valid both in terms of B2B or B2C. Uh, it is valid in terms of competing, you know, in terms of price or competing in terms of value. You need to understand why he is buying from you. Why would he continue to, con to do business with you and how you are solving you know, his or her problems. And it is not always a question of size and price. So you need to really understand what your value proposition stands for, how you can communicate that internally first and then to, to that chosen customer. This way we go full circle where we started thinking about customers, the importance of strategy. This way as well, the, the, the speed that is needed in business and, and the importance of everyone understanding and owning its own strategy. Let me ask a, a final question. Uh, amid this crisis and pandemic that we're living, what reasons of hope do you see for the future? How do you look ahead? <laughs> I find it extremely challenging on the one side, but gratifying too, because um, what we see in 
many industries is that not necessarily the largest prevail. It is the smartest. So, I mean, uh, you know, that's the reason for the existence of why startups are just booming. I mean, how is it possible that, you know, these new fintechs that are appearing all over the world, I mean, like the Revoluts, for instance, or the new banks in Brazil, uh, you know, and they're competing against the large established banks, but not competing head on in terms of, you know, they are not cooperating, but coexisting because at the end of the day, they, you know, they just want to leave the businesses that they don't want to those large established heavy banks. And they are, you know, moving out lightly out there. How can you, uh, how, how would you have thought that people like, for instance, I don't know, Uber or Airbnb are the largest in their own domains and they don't own fleets or they don't own hotels. And, you know, and they're still out there alive and kicking and, you know, doing uh, quite well. Um, I don't know, there's a company I've been looking at, there's uh, a startup that started in Argentina a few, about eight years ago called Figo. And basically what they do is they're, you know, they, they're, they've been able to put together about 4,000 different algorithms and obviously, you know, process a huge amount of data that solves different kinds of things. For instance, they've been able to offer banks uh, uh, an amazing predicting, predict, uh, predicting system to see when customers are about to defect because they see their patterns of behavior and how they interact with their bank and they are able to, you know, say, you know, highlight a red flag saying, Carlos is going to leave. So you'd better put a carrot, you know, uh, before him so that he stays. And you'd better understand why is it that he's prepared to leave. And uh, the, that those same algorithms have been used to, you know, trivial things uh, that obviously capture data from here and there in terms of your uh, behavior when you're surfing the web and uh, can, you know, decide what kind of presence you might like. You know, the, 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 one of the founders of this company actually said, a, a, you know, tells a very interesting story saying that he wanted to make a present to his mother-in-law, but he didn't know what to, you know, give her as a present. And <clears throat> he started collecting all the data she had uh, you know, in terms of their, uh, her online, you know, uh, surfing kind of uh, history. And he arrived to the perfect gift. How much would you be prepared to have, you know, access to that kind of information and hence deliver the perfect gift? Uh, in a way, it's creepy. And obviously, this has all the privacy issues we've, you know, we're, you know, bombarded with every day. But we're well aware that, you know, does that matter or does it not in terms of, you know, predicting what my purchase patterns might be or my preferences are, you know, what are the trade-offs? And so I think definitely there's hope, but on the other hand, this requires work. I mean, we need to move out of our comfort zone. We can't rely, you know, talking about family businesses on saying, oh, how easy it was in my grandfather's time or my father's time. No, it's no longer the case. It's a brave new world and, competitors are coming from all over the place as we said before uh, because they are all looking you know to grab uh, the business from those chosen customers so we need to be on our, the tips of our toes but i think that's what makes it attractive no? <laughs> Professor Fowler, thank you so much for your insights your uh, wisdom practicality all the examples and stories that you share with us 
It was very insightful. Thank you so much for being here with us. My, my, my pleasure. Hope to see you in person uh, in the near future. Thank you so much and all of you. Thank you for listening and see you and hear you soon in another IS podcast. Thank you, Thank you very much and keep safe. <laughs>